0: Hello again, and welcome back to Firing Film and part two of our International Women's Day special. Here are our picks for five to one of our top 10 female performances. Um, Right, moving into our top fives. So I'm going to kick off with my number five. So I've picked somebody who's come up on Sam's list, who Shadlia also mentioned, but I've gone for a different film. So I've picked Emily Blunt, but I've not gone for A Quiet Place. I've gone for Sicario which is the action film directed by Denis Villeneuve, who, and I think, for Sicario, it's, it was one of those films when we watched it where it was such a tense and almost feeling like a slow-burn thriller, but you saw everything through Emily Blunt's eyes. And it was that she was kind of plucked out from whatever job that she was doing moved into you know mexico the border of mexico all into this drug cartel and there's a point where and i always use this scene in my in my lessons because i think it's great for mise on scène and things like that she sat at the back of the car and somebody shoots or somebody starts shooting and they kill somebody in this border crossing the really tense border crossing sequence and she says what the f are we doing here and that is the voice of the audience going what is going on we have no idea what's going on at this point So all the way through, we just see everything through her eyes. And it's a really tough and gritty performance from the same woman who went on to play Mary Poppins, which is why it kind of blows my mind every single time. I I go from Ruby watching Mary Poppins Returns to then seeing Sicario. And I'm like, oh my God, this is the same person. But I think the reason why this is on my list is because fundamentally, she's not a Mary Sue. Now, this idea that like a Mary Sue is a character who for whatever reason, is instantly good at everything. Like um, Ray from Star Wars is supposedly critiqued a lot for being a Mary Sue because apparently she's good at everything. In this, Emily Blunt isn't good at everything. She's finding certain things out. She's finding out how to sort of um, deal with the situation, deal with the cartels, know how to maybe interrogate them, deal with them, um, investigate whatever it is that she's looking at. There's a really kind of – it feels like a bit of a side quest scene where her and the character played by Daniel Kaluuya go to a bar. They meet up with John Bernthal's character, and then he basically then tries to rape her. And it, we get this really sort of ugly, visceral scene where she's being attacked and is then, yeah, admittedly, ultimately saved by another male character. But it all adds to the idea that she is vulnerable. She is almost innocent. She's, un- she's maybe in over her head a little bit, but the scenes where she shines... Firing far and above the best that I've ever seen of a female performance in a film like that in a really kind of gritty thriller. Um, so that's why Emily Blunt is my number five for Sicario. Uh, Gemma, you're number five.
1: I really like what you said about um, her being so different two different things and not realising it's the same person. I think that is fundamentally um, the mark of a really good actor a really good performer so someone like um denzel washington or something like that can be so different whereas there are other people who are really pigeonholed and so they're great at performing um but are they as an actor something different every time um so when you say that i can really see what you're saying um i really like that my number five is i think somebody who can do that which is uh, julie walters so um Going through the kind of things that Julie Walters, I mean, she's just a kind of British legend, really. So you've you've got to wade through loads to, to pick a favourite. Some of the early stuff, such as Educating Rita, absolutely wonderful. I don't know if any of you have seen that, um, but she's so good in that. And then things like Billy Elliot. really like her in Billy Elliot. I hate her in Mamma Mia. I think that is one of the worst films I could I have ever seen I hate mamma mia and I, I really don't like her performance in it at all it's actually cringeworthy and I can't watch it because I find it painful um I yeah I really don't like I really don't like her in mamma mia so I've gone with a bit of an odd one here which was a tv film but because it's a film um I uh, I can make it count and that was one called a short stay in switzerland um again as Shadlier says uh, a good re film not that I think I've ever used it in RE because it's so harrowing that the children would just be um, disturbed but it's basically about a woman who has an incurable condition which by massive odds her husband has just died of as well Uh, and then she takes the decision to um, uh, to choose euthanasia to choose sort of dying with dignity Um, and it's it's just, it's just heartbreaking. But her performance in it is, uh, is so real, and it makes you cry because you just feel the pain. It's so harrowing. When she tries to suffocate herself and things like that. Um, but she, she's so good in that. She's so believable. Um, you know, in that role, playing someone who was a bit older than her, uh, her sort of real age at the time, but again, really believable. So I think that she just, she just makes brilliant films apart from Mamma Mia, but my favourite would be Short Stay in Switzerland of, uh, of Julie Walters.
0: I've never heard of that, um, but I'm intrigued. And I think I, so I think the podcast that I'm about to mention may have already gone out at this point, um, but this week I recorded the Harry Potter podcast And we spoke a lot about Molly Weasley and Julie Walters at Molly Weasley, that you've got this fantastic actress. And in some of the films, she's only in it for, you know, like two minutes right at the beginning. But then she has one of the best redemption kind of arcs in the final sequence when she kills Bellatrix. Yeah, it's just great. Absolutely great. But yeah, Julie Walters is an absolute legend. Can't argue with her. Shadlia, you're number five.
2: Uh, my number five has already been said. Um, it is Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. I think that she is iconic in this role for all the reasons that Gemma said before. Um, the favourite scene of mine um, was when she goes shopping, and she's just so innocent when she walks into that really expensive boutique. you know, she's just looking around, and she's wearing, I think it's like a purple top, and you can see like the sides of her belly, and she's wearing a short skirt, and she just looks, you know, exactly what she is, and it—it—it's it, just. It's just so, I to know, like, awkward watching her navigate that that situation and being so oblivious to it. But then when she comes back and she looks, you know, she looks gorgeous, she looks very stylish, and she just says to them, you know, I was in here, big mistake, huge, like, huge. It's just, you just feel, like, so good for her. You're like, yeah, you can rub it in their face. Um, I will say, though, I have recently... Literally, I think we watched it on Valentine's Day actually, and um, we watched Notting Hill for the first time, and I've never seen that before. And I know that Hugh Grant is obviously the star of the movie; it's his movie, and she doesn't have very, like much dialogue at all, very minimal. I thought she was brilliant in that. I thought she's absolutely outstanding. I've not seen um, Evan. Uh, erin brokovich but i always see it on now tv and i always think oh should i give that a watch so i feel like after you guys talking about that that's going to be next one on our list because i do think she is she is brilliant um but pretty woman number five fantastic
0: good shout i am keeping a track of the crossovers as well just in case um i don't think there's as many as there has been in the past but there's definitely a few uh holly you're number five please
3: Sure, this is um, another film that's come up in another um, podcast. So um, it's Emma Thompson as Eleanor Dashwood in Sense and Sensibility. Um, I, I love Sense and Sensibility, the the film. Um, obviously I am an English teacher and I love all the blah-de-blah corsets stuff, um, but her performance in that just breaks my heart every single time I watch it. Um, her character is in love with someone else, but she takes her duty to um, look after her family um, ahead of that. Um, and when she finds out that he's engaged to someone else, she just doesn't She doesn't get mad, she doesn't grieve, she doesn't outwardly get upset, she just gets on with it. Um, but you see her heart absolutely breaking in all of these scenes where she has to sit quietly doing cross stitch while this man is sitting talking about his engagement um and I I know if you hate period dramas that sounds like the most horrendous thing that you could ever possibly sit and watch but it's just Emma Thompson's face um as she's just sitting there and you can just see her every fiber of her being trying not to scream because she can't scream she 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 can't embarrass her family in that way and she can't embarrass this man who she's in love with in that way either she's just got to sit there and listen to it Um, and there's a scene where the the new fiance is confiding in her because it's a secret engagement that no one knows knows about and this this girl called Lucy Steele is confiding in Eleanor about the secret engagement really nastily because she knows that Eleanor is in love with her secret fiance. And they're just walking around the room and this girl is whispering at her and she's just being destroyed while still having to walk around the room. Um, And she's, she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant in it. And when you think that she wrote the script for the film, um and and h- produced the film you know obviously she, she knew what was required from that role and she wrote it in that way and she wanted that to be the thing that we take away um if you're a fan of um uh the vicar of dibley there's the lovely homage to um that scene in sense of sensibility when uh geraldine finally gets the the um uh, gets engaged when Harry proposes to Geraldine and she goes, is a throwback to Emma Thompson in, in Sense and Sensibility where suddenly the the man actually comes back and says, oh, he's cut off this engagement to Lucy. I want to marry you. And all of the emotions she's had for like two years suddenly come out. Um, I, yeah, it, It's a great, great performance. If you can't stand a period drama, then obviously don't put yourself through it. But if you, if you do happen to like them and you haven't seen Sense and Sensibility, it's the absolute classic and Emma Thompson's performance is worthwhile.
0: So I noticed Gemma's reaction and it wasn't even when you said it. It's not the period drama thing. Gemma, have you got something against Emma Thompson?
1: Yeah, massively actually, right? Why? So, okay, for what we're talking about, about uh, Emily Blunt, Okay, if you took Emma Thompson and you made her be the lead woman in Cesario, could she do it? No, she couldn't. Emma Thompson is always Emma Thompson with some slight stretches. Except when she was Nanny McPhee. Right, I was just about to say, apart from some slight stretches when she's Nanny McPhee or Trunchbull, which still essentially is still a middle-class woman. Um, But if you took her out of that and put her in something completely different, she can't do it. I don't think she'd be able to do it. Maybe as a writer and a producer, like with *Sense and Sensibility*, then that's fine. But as a as an actress, I don't think that she has ever really shown that she's got that much of a range. Um, so I and and you know what, it is for the exact reasons that you love her that I hate her. I can't stand those nineties um, period dramas where there was loads of them at that time in the nineties, where they made all of them, and then Keira Knightley was in loads of them. Towards them. I just Honestly, I hate the, anything with Kenneth Branner or anything like that in, apart from Harry Potter, um, I, I, I give a really, really wide berth. But Emma Thompson is just so Emma Thompson in absolutely everything, which um, it's it's like Hugh Grant, you know, it's just like, I saw a film the other day with Hugh Grant and he was slightly different. It was a... Um,
3: He's uh, having a reconnaissance right now. I, I'm just having um, yeah, Paddington too.
0: If you're How, actually undoing that's that's good
3: exactly. So maybe a I, very British scandal
1: because I've avoided her because of her other roles. Maybe no, uh, that's
3: that's Hugh Grant, that's Hugh Grant's renaissance. Oh,
1: sorry, right. Um, I, no, I haven't said what's the no. new
3: guy Ritchie film called Scott
1: Gentleman. On, that's it. Hugh Grant was a different character in that, finally. Um, not massively different, but but finally, but those those kind of. Just where they're just the same in everything. I I don't waste my time on them.
3: I it's it's the argument about the Olympics where who's the better athlete, the person who can do the decathlon or the person who wins the hundred meter sprint. Like, can you just sprint and you're the best person in the world at sprinting, or are you an all rounder who can do all of the things? Emma Thompson is the best in the world at being Emma Thompson. I happen to enjoy that and I think she should get some credit for it when you were talking about Melissa McCarthy and saying you wanted to pick a role that showed she was different I, I, I push back against that a bit because yes the the comedic roles are the things she does all the time and as you said it, she might find that comes easily but she, that's her natural talent and that's what I that's amazing and I enjoy watching yeah. her do that and I think she's brilliant I- at it So we have a different. What you're saying, definitely. I don't don't think think... I've got a lot of range on this list, but I. They're just. I don't like
1: what Emma. I don't like so Melissa McCarthy. She makes me laugh in all of those roles where she's the same. So I love it, but it's uh, kind of going against my own argument. I suppose that I guess what I don't like is the kind of um, middle class like posh woman character. It just bores me. So therefore, I just don't like what she does. Then, but no, I totally I see your argument completely. Yeah.
0: Uh, it would be remiss of me not to go back to this. I think you said that she played trunchbull.
1: Yeah, that really confused
0: no. me. Did she know that's it not? That's not her, no. No. No, that's Pam Ferris. I'm sure
1: she's played a Ball. Trunch- I know Pam Ferris did... Because-
0: because- I mean Shadler's face looks like what's happening here.
1: But the ones I've seen played a trunch ball at some point in some adaptation. I'm going to Google this. Your
0: dreams,
3: your dreams. Emma Thompson. If there's an adaptation somewhere that I don't know about, then this is brand new news.
0: (laughs) I'm going to make I'm going to make a logistical swap while Gemma googles because it should have been Gemma next. So Shadler, if you do yours first while Gemma googles, and then we'll number four. Yes.
2: Yes. And um, this was on your honourable mentions. It's Brie Larson in Room. Um, I think Brie Larson is 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 a, is a pretty good actress. Um, obviously she's been quite a few things, and she had her probably her most um notable uh performance in uh, Captain Marvel. But this movie, um, we me and Jack just put it on. Um, just kind of like a Sunday afternoon movie. Um, and we were blown away by this by it, it was fantastic and for those of you who have not seen it, the first half of the movie, um, she is literally in a room uh, with her son who she's had in, in captivity um, and then it, it, the movie can navigates. To, to her escaping and then how she deals with the modern world and, and coming out after I think it's maybe eight years or so being being locked up by this man um, and how she navigates the world by herself but also with, with her son who's never been outside um, and by the way the, the son performance if we ever do like a child child performance he is fantastic he's he, brilliant um, she's captivating throughout uh, you feel a connection for her you want her to uh, succeed um, but no absolutely brilliant
0: uh, so Jacob Tremblay, yes. Right, so Gemma's now find the Trunchbull. Where's is that? Is that on the musical?
1: No, it's up and coming on Netflix.
0: Oh, well, what were we I talking about I'd that read for? I knew that
1: she was doing something about trunchball. Right, okay. There you go. I knew I'd read somewhere that she was about to... Well, I, I thought she played it, um, but uh, it's up and coming. But yeah, she's Trunchbull in a Netflix adaptation. Of- Maybe this will be the role that, that, that kind of sways you to liking
2: it. I mean, I was going to say... It.
0: <laughs> We've not even seen it yet, and she's already sagged it off. So, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> what are we going to do now?
1: I just, I, I didn't, I didn't say about whether she was good
0: enough.
1: <laughs> I just said that that was a different role, but I just knew that I'd read somewhere about her doing Trunchbull. Um But yeah, so that will be very different for Emma Thompson, won't it? Right. Yes. So I'll, I'll, I'll give, um, I hope she doesn't listen to this podcast.
0: I'd be surprised if she did. But they <laughs> <laughs> um, do have Dan Adam. Yeah, thanks. Um, Shadler's uh, choice of Room. Yeah, it's a great film, absolutely great film. There's a reason why Brie Larson won an Oscar for it because, again, she's fantastic in it. Um, I think again, you could. Some people might pick her for Captain Marvel, um, but again, I would say Room is probably the better. Yeah, the better performance of the two. Uh, right, back on track then. Gemma, your number four. My number four is uh, Charlize Theron.
1: Um, and it's for her performance in Monster. Uh, I don't know how many of you might have watched any documentaries about Eileen Warnos, um, but when you see how well Charlize Ron uh, plays Eileen Warnos, she's absolutely bang on the mark. Um, you know, she put on weight for the role and uh, went forward with a really non glamorous kind of image of herself, uh, which is a brave thing to do as an actress to, to put yourself out there looking horrendous. Um, But the film's really gritty and it's really real. And I watched the documentaries about Eileen Warnos before I ever watched the film uh, Monster. Um, So the first thing I did when I saw her playing Eileen Warnos in Monster, I just thought, wow, she's so like her. Uh, And I think that again, it's just that mark mark of a really, really, really good actress to be so believable that you forget who you're watching. So when you see things like, um, I don't know, Atomic Blonde, (laughs) Where she's just this absolute um, kind of uh, sex symbol bombshell. You're always watching Charlie and while you're watching that film, and you know who you're watching um and you're seeing this this beautiful woman you know she's in the Dior advert and everything where she's just absolutely stunning and that's who you watch when you're watching things like Atomic Blonde when you're watching Monster you forget you're watching Charlize Theron and so to do that I think and be able to do that kind of performance and put that out there is the mark of a true true actor that you actually don't know who you're watching that you forget who you're watching and you are watching that character you are watching Eileen Mornos in that and um for me I think that that's probably the best thing she's ever done um you know I think she's brilliant I think in that she she truly deserved all of the accolades that she got for that and the awards that she got for it so yeah Charlize Theron uh, in Monster
0: yeah great pick I've not seen it in a very long time because it was one of those I think we mentioned this I think on our chat that there are a lot of films where you'll watch it you know it's great and you'll go I'm not really ever going to watch that again you know because it's uncomfortable or whatever it is um but she unfortunately had this kind of curse of the Oscar thing after that where she'd won the Oscar and then just seemed to disappear for an extremely long amount of time and then come back again. And there are a lot of people like that, like um, Monique from Precious, where like people have won Oscars and just that's it. They've disappeared. They seem to have peaked and, you know, they come back around every, every so often. Um, OK, so uh, number four for Holly, please.
3: Uh, on Sam's list as well and it finally something Ollie will approve of um, I got Sigourney Weaver as Ellen Ripley in um, i said Aliens rather than Alien I uh, Alien is the film I prefer but I think her performance is better in Aliens because in Aliens you see a a, a wider range she has to be um a, a leader she's the the voice of reason she's also like a maternal figure um uh, and this amazing badass at the end as well. Um, I remember I used to read um, Empire Magazine when I was a teenager and they did this big kind of 100 most iconic film roles of all time list that came out in like a big poster and blah, blah, blah. And there was only one female role in the top 10. Um, and that was um, Ellen Ripley, which I think was number seven. Um, I, in terms of acting, acting is never the thing that I notice. When I'm watching a film, I'm there for the story. Um, obviously, I'm an English teacher, so I might be listening to the dialogue or, or thinking about whether that's good or bad. Not usually, though. It's usually just the storyline that I'm there for, and it takes quite a few watches for me to think about whether the acting was was good or bad, unless it's like so bad it hits you in the face. Um, so I'm not sure whether really it's a it's a terribly difficult role that. She, that she was taking on there but it is so iconic it, it is the the archetype for all future um kind of he- heroines in in science fiction um in, in action films um she she's just she embodies that role so much and i know she's been very much typecast after that. And, and if you were thinking of that role in anything, you think, oh, is Sigourney Weaver free? Could she do that? Um, but there's a reason, and that's because she she is so brilliant in those films and particularly the second one, I think, where, where you get to see more of her, her personality and has so many iconic lines, um, which I won't repeat because most of them have swear words in them. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure uh, you would agree adam that yeah that
0: role should be up there yeah i think so again not to spoil the list but i will she's not on my list um and i think it comes down to and we speak about this a lot on the podcast i watched alien when i was in university for the first time so it wasn't something that i have great affinity for i like the first film i think the second one's great i think you've definitely picked the right one by putting her for aliens rather than alien um the rest we can kind of just forget about. Um, and probably I, could, I might have been able to make a case for above Samara Weaving for Ready or Not, but I really kind of, I like this idea that first and foremost, we're going to mention films on the podcast that no one's seen before and hopefully get more eyes on it and things like that. So actually, do we need somebody else for a third time to say Ripley? Probably not, um, but we can all agree that it's great as much as it is. Um, yeah, I mean, I can't can't disagree with you at all it's 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 a great performance um right my number four has already come up on Gemma's again honorable mentions um and I was surprised it was an honorable mention and actually the first time that I picked that sort of put my list together this was number one and it slowly fell down a little bit as I kind of rejigged certain things um this is Rosamund Pike in Gone Girl because it is an absolute stellar performance And there are very few films where, you know, when you go and watch them for the first time and you take it for granted that you're watching it for the first time and then afterwards you think, I'd love to see that again. Like not knowing what happens and not knowing the twist. And like I showed it to my mate afterwards and I just watched him as he watched it so I could see his reaction to it. Um, And yeah, I am going to kind of go spoiler alert here. So if you've not seen Gone Girl, fast forward a little bit. Um, But basically, we start off with Ben Affleck and his wife's disappeared. We have no idea where she is. We see things through these kind of haunting flashbacks and voiceovers. And even just Rosamund Pike's voice and her inflection, you absolutely, you know, believe in everything that she's saying. You think something bad's happened to her. And then all of a sudden, we cut to black and you just see her driving in a car, chucking things out of a window. And she's faking all of these diary entries. And all of a sudden, it's like, who is this person? Who is this woman? You know, and then she's going to the extremes of she's that sort of convinced that she needs to frame a husband for her own death, that she's going to take a chisel to a jaw so that she looks slightly, to her teeth, so that she looks slightly different. She's going to die of her. She's, you know, she's on the run. She's killed her ex-boyfriend on the way, wherever she's going. And it's absolute 100% unhinged carnage. And it's just this psychotic performance with, again, the most subtle facial expressions and body language, even in that kind of call-and-response shots that you get at the beginning where we see her head, she looks up to Ben Affleck, and you think, "Oh, aren't they a sweet married couple? And then right at the end, you see it at the end, and she looks up at him, and it's like, yeah, she might kill him when he's sleeping later on. That might be where we get. The unfortunate thing with this is that I feel like this is then typecast Rosamund Pike that she's done certain things since she was in like a United Kingdom and things like that. So she's doing slightly different roles, but there was a film that came out, I think the year after called return to sender. And I remember watching that really like, well, not well known at all. And I remember thinking at the time, this is just all the crazy that she's got left over from gone girl, because it's about her locking someone in the basement and things like that. Um, She's about to be in a film that's going on Amazon prime called something like I don't care or I care, Less or something I, like I that. I care a lot. I care a lot, actually. I really,
3: yeah. I, yeah, I really want to see that.
0: Yeah, but I watched the trailer and I just thought, oh, this is this is Gone Girl, Rosamund Pike again. And you know, Quite is possibly. is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? But actually, yeah, let's just have this and enjoy this and enjoy her in Gone because, yeah, absolute stellar performance, powerhouse performance, and again another David Fincher that I've got on my list, so can't complain there either. Right. Let's get into our number threes then. So, are you're going to go first with your number three. She's on mute. You know, how long have we been teaching online? And she's not even...
2: Sorry, guys. I was just so excited. Um, my number three has already been said. Um, it's Frances McDormand in Three Billboards Outside every Missouri. Um, for all the reasons that Gemma said, um, she's brilliant. She's absolutely brilliant in it. I will say, though, I did when I wrote this down, I did other and R whether I should refer to her performance in burn after reading. And I only watched that. I think, I think it was maybe two weeks ago or so. Um, and I thought she was brilliant in that as well, but because I wrote this one first, I thought I'd stick with this. Um She's just, she's brilliant in it. She's absolutely brilliant. The standout scene I can think of now is where they um, I can't remember the the actor's name but the police officer when he's got her in the uh like kind of interrogation room and he's talking to her about what she's doing and uh she's just so cold and so short with him you know very much reliant on the facial expressions she's kind of got her arms folded and everything Um, and then he 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 um coughs blood onto her like you know onto her face and she just kind of transcends into that mothering role she's very she's very nurturing she immediately tries to help him even though she doesn't like him but she just kind of goes back into that mothering role and you just feel such an affection towards her uh, i thought it was i thought her performance and that was brilliant obviously you guys did too
0: yeah i think i remember when i watched three billboards thinking that every time you laugh at something you then get hit with like an emotional sucker punch of, like, oh, we've got you on the edge because you're laughing, but him and, you know, he's going to cough blood and it really kind of catches you off guard a lot of the time. But yeah, she's, she's great in that. She's absolutely great in that. Um, Holly, your number
3: three. Uh, my number three is um, Holly Hunter as Ed in Raising Arizona. Um, so this was a, a comedy film from 1987. Um, two uh, people, Ed is a police officer. Um, and Hi is a criminal and they meet because Ed is the person who takes the photos um, of the, the people who get arrested and he keeps getting arrested. And in the end, he just kind of keeps getting arrested so that he can see the pretty police officer who takes the photos. Um, and uh, she, she's just so comedic and tragic in the film because they get married and they find out that she, she's unable to have children. Um, and there's a scene where she's um, crying um, and it's, it's real like textbook comedy crying like this, this crazy gurning crying face um, but she turns it and in a second you're kind of crying with her and I think that, that ability to, to go from like farcical comedy to real kind of human tragedy Makes the film such a such a good one. It's my favorite Cohen Brothers film, um, and and she yeah she she's wonderful in it. it. It's she's a really human performance in a film that has all these great big silly performances from Nick Cage and um, uh, oh who, what's the name of that wonderful actor is in all of the Cohen Brothers films. Oh my, um, god. oh my god, what's his name? I will think of it. Let's get on Google. Oh my God, um, he's. I
0: was going to say Tim Blake Nelson, but I don't know if it is him.
3: Yeah, I mean, they're they're directors who have the same actors in all of their films. I'll I'll find it and shout it out in the middle of them when we're talking <laughs> about our number two films. Um, but there's like a caper where two of High's friends get out of prison and then have to come and stay with him and then they decide that they're going to steal one of the octuplets that's just been born because they've got too many babies and they don't have enough babies and they won't miss one um and when holly hunter's holding this baby that they've just stolen and she's crying she's just i love him so much and it's just funny and heartbreaking at the same time i think she's do you
0: mean john goodman
3: John Goodman! Uh, Thank yeah. you, Adam.
0: <laughs> so John legend. Goodman's
3: chewing the scenery. So is Nick Cage, obviously, because he's in it and so he's chewing some scenery. There's like a, a Hell's Angel Terminator-style guy in it as well, but the person <laughs> I remember from the film it is Holly Hunter and her crying.
0: Good shout. Great shout. Right.
3: Um, she was She was nominated for an Oscar that year, but not for that film. And I think that's a tragedy. She was nominated mm. for another film that she was
0: in. This is the strange thing about this, that you know, we could argue the Toss that everything that we're saying is the best of whatever, but it's never recognized for things. And um right, my number three, I think easily could be my number two or even my number one. And this is just where we get to whenever we do these lists. But my number three is from a film that I don't think any of you will have seen. Um, and I think it's something that you should all go and seek out. Um, And it's one that, again, I've championed on the 90s podcast. And again, the one I did the Catherine Bigelow podcast, um, and it's from a film called Strange Days. And this is Angela Bassett as Mace. Now, Angela Bassett is so just to I'm going to mention something again that I mentioned on the Catherine Bigelow podcast. I refer to Angela Bassett as a ball buster. And what I mean by that is, we, me and Amy watch a film called, not a film, a TV series called 911, which is on Sky Living or Sky Witness. And Angela Bassett plays the kind of detective cop in that. And every time she turns up, I say to Amy, away oh, we go, the ball busters here. And the first couple of times she went, well, what do you mean by that? And I said, just watch. And every man that's in this scene, they're about to get their comeuppance and they're about to get put down by this five foot four, five foot nothing black detective because she don't take anything from anyone right and she this all stems from strange days so in strange days she plays somebody called mace who is the bodyguard of ray finds character lenny now ray Fines is as tall as anything angela bassett is short stuff and she basically throws him around Is it? man knows him is the voice of reason intimidates him and just says, what are you doing with your life? You need to sort yourself out. And this is 1995, before we really got this resurgence of really strong female roles. And when I watched this in university, this was like, who is this Angela Bassett woman? Like, you know, she's since played people like Tina Turner on film. You know, she plays um, Ch- uh, Chaw's mom. She plays the Queen in Black Panther. You know, she's done so many different roles, but Mace in Strange Days is absolutely phenomenal. And it is one of those roles where, again, if you, for whatever reason, had to sit down and make a list of powerful women in film, she'd be right on it. She would absolutely be right on it. Um, And when I use the term ball buster, I use it in the most loving way possible because I absolutely love Angela Bassett every time I see her on screen. And it is now just one of these jovial comments that me and now Amy make every single time. I think we watched something else recently where she popped up and it was and Amy just kind of went, oh, th- this isn't going to go well because she's here. <laughs> here we go. She's here. Um, right. That's my number three. Then that's Angel Bassett in Strange Days. Uh, Gemma, your are number three.
1: Am I allowed a joint three? Because
0: what? Oh, right. Because you can't decide. And then you've got two under one.
1: Yeah, so basically, I, mean, I know which one I'll drop if you say uh, I can't.
0: I'd say no, but as we found out on the comedy podcast when Shadlia put all of the hangovers and I said no and then Holly called me out for me putting the raid in the raid too. Like, <laughs> yeah, do what you want, Gemma. <laughs> right,
1: so Glenn Close and Emily Blunt, right? Those are my my number three. Now, Glenn Close, I like her in Fatal Attraction. Right. I'll talk to you about that in just a second. But the reason why she makes my list again as a sort of resurgence is a new film, which is in um, the running for some Oscars, uh, Hillbilly Elegy. Right. And if you watch her in that as the grandmother, again, like with Charlize Theron, you don't know you're watching Glenn Close. And then when you watch at the end, when they show you some of the photos and things like that and some of the videos of the actual family, because it's on a, a, a true story based on a true story you look at the actual grandmother and you're like, oh my God, that is exactly what she was like. So Glenn Close absolutely nails that. In terms of Fatal Attraction, uh, you know, that iconic 80s performance, I think really all I want to do is just thank her for that, because what they did there was they set a really low kind of bar for women's crazy behavior, um, which makes everything that we sometimes do when we're feeling a bit hormonal or unreasonable, just seem all right. So if we're giving it all, I'm fine when I'm not fine or, um, you choose, you just choose, when you clearly are not allowed to choose. Uh, and those kind of things. When we start behaving like that, and then the hormones reset a little bit after a few days, you look back and go, I wasn't that bad. Cause you know, I didn't kidnap anybody's kid and I didn't murder anyone's rabbit and boil it. You know, I just was like, don't follow me when actually you need to follow me cause you need to sort it out. Um, So, yeah, we all have those kind of unreasonable feminine moments sometimes. But I think Fatal Attraction sets our bar just so low in kind of like that's how bad, you know, what happens when a woman gets unhinged. That sometimes what we do, you just like it's all right. It's not like I did a Fatal Attraction, is it? Um, But it's really uh, (laughs) it's really hillbilly elegy uh, that I think she's really great in. However, if you hadn't let me talk about that, I would have dropped her there for Emily Blunt, um, who I love, a British actress, uh, and her performance that I really love, which I think is my true number three, is Girl on a Train, um, where you just watch how uh, how manipulated she's been, how um, I think the phrase is gaslighting, isn't it? How her husband has been gaslighting her, uh, and just how she is is kind of um, just at the lowest kind of ebb um emotionally uh and just some of the things that happen in that film where she's just so low and then the story unfolds and you realize that she didn't actually do some of the things that she's beating herself up for um you know she wasn't as bad it was all him he's the manipulator and i think she plays that character just so brilliantly uh and that's a film yeah i could watch over and over again i think she's 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 wonderful in it um yeah i do i do love uh, a bit of emily blunt
0: Great choices. Absolutely great. Um, it's, it's so nice to see that we've all picked Emily Blunt for different things, like me, you and Sam so far. And Shad's mentioned her for A Quiet Place as well. Um, right, into our number twos then, heavy hitters. Here we go. Holly, your number two.
3: Uh, this is the the um, earliest film I've got on my list. I thought I'd have more kind of 1940s, 1950s stuff, but I've only got one. And that's um, Betty Davis as Margot in All About Eve, um, which was my number one for a really long time, but I, I substituted something out. Um, she, in this film, the, the storyline is that uh, Margot is a slightly aging um, theatre actress, a very serious, very a highly recognised theatre actress, but she's just getting to the edge of not being able to play the iconic female roles in lots of um, plays. She's just getting a tiny bit too old to do that. Um, But because she's such an icon, she's still getting those roles. Um, And into her very egocentric, full of yes-men kind of world comes this young girl called Eve, who um, is a gigantic fan and waits outside the stage door in the pouring rain without a proper coat on to see her idol. And Margot, in a kind of what seems like charity but is actually ego-stroking, hires this girl, Eve, to become her assistant. And then slowly... Eve takes over her life um and it's a wonderful wonderful like dark film please please watch it if you haven't seen it it's it's if you've seen like things like single white female and stuff like that the idea comes from all about Eve um and the the nastiness the the backbiting the sarcastic comments that they have between all these um Theater lovies and producers and actors and critics and all the backstabbing and how they all use each other to try and get on top is brilliant. But Betty Davis's performance as Margot is so wonderful because she is—we shouldn't like her at all. She she's so egocentric. She thinks so highly of herself. She's so highly strung and you know artistic temperament in quotes. Um, Her her longtime partner. Is very put upon um, and is on the verge of leaving her. She she keeps throwing these parties where she she goes off on wild um, rants and throws glasses at the wall and stuff. But you see kind of a, a pain underneath that. And as Eve slowly takes away things that actually mean a lot to Margot, which before she was just you know disdainful of you start to root for and want her to keep those things that she had. Um, And I think that's because Betty Davis is such a fantastic actress. You're also really on edge the entire time because you have no idea what she's going to do. She could kill someone. She's such a fantastic woman on the edge actress. Um, She has a a wonderful line. I think it's the most um, well-delivered line in film ever. And it's when she's in this party and Eva's already started to take some roles away from her um, and she just says fasten your seat belts it's going to be a bumpy night and then walks up the stairs in this amazing ball gown and you're like what's gonna happen oh my god um, is she gonna poison everyone um, it you you have to see betty davis deliver that line obviously because i butchered it um, but it's it's a it's a great film and and that performance is stellar
0: Good shout. I can always go to Holly for classical Hollywood. She is the classical Hollywood correspondent for this podcast because you've seen more of it than anyone else, I think. Especially from like anyone
3: in the whole world. Yes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyone who's been on these anyway, especially me.
3: Not Joel. Joel's definitely
0: seen more. Joel's Art House. Joel's the Art House correspondent.
3: Fair enough.
0: Yeah. Because some of the films that he comes out with are, yeah. Um, right, my number two. I'm actually intrigued to see Shadlier's reaction to my number two because it's either going to be, this is on my list, I've not said it yet, or this is, oh no, I totally forgot this. Um, so my number two is Lupita Nyong'o in Us. And um, the reason for this is, talking about a different film for the, to, to begin with, when I watched Shutter Island that came out in 2010 with Leonardo DiCaprio, you watch Shutter Island for the first time and you go, All right, okay, all this stuff is happening. And then you get to the twist. And you go, Oh, okay, I didn't see that. I'm not gonna spoil it. Don't worry, I'm not gonna spoil it. Because you need to see it without the twist. But then the second time you watch it, you watch it with the twist in mind, and you go, Oh, this is a different film now because I know what's gonna happen, and I'm now seeing this in a different way. The same thing happens in us because the first time you watch us, you see a little girl at the carnival with a mum and a dad and she wanders off and she goes into a hall of mirrors and she sees a reflection, but this reflection turns around on her. And then we cut to black and we jump forward in time. And then we see Adelaide with her family, with her kids. They go back to the same beach. She has this kind of strange PTSD reaction to it. She doesn't like being there. And then we get all the plot with the doppelgangers and things like that. And red turns up now. Again, I'm not, I won't go into spoilers for this one if you've not seen us because, again, there's a reveal that you need to see towards the end of it. But I think it's an absolute travesty that she wasn't nominated for an Oscar for this because it's not just one performance, it's two. The reason why she's in here now is because she plays Adelaide and she plays Red, and there are such different intricacies to their characters that actually... It's a really masterful performance. And obviously she's doing it knowing the big reveal that's going to come later in the film. So there are a lot of subtleties in it. There are a lot of little things in it that she's purposely adding in. So you've got one woman who's dealing with this, past, this like traumatic past experience and then another woman who's surviving from learnt experiences and is dealing with like social norms and things like that. So I think, again, if you go to it for a second time, you see it completely differently. And again, the fact that she didn't get any Oscar nominations or even even buzz, even this kind of like, is she going to be in there? Is she not going to be in there? And I think that happened towards the end. But, But this is what happens with the Oscars is every now and again, a film will come along that they'll notice and that they'll take sort of, you know, they'll say this is an early Oscar contender, because if you're not aware, For a film to be nominated at the Oscars, it has to play in Los Angeles or New York in qualifying cinemas between October and January. So sort of like if it was this year, it would have been October 2020 to January 2021. Now, that's why they release during that period of time in the autumn all the big oscar buzzworthy films. That's why you things like Three Billboards were released when they were released. That's why Gone Girl was released in November, things like that. You get a film that is released either in the summer or in March, and it's going to get ignored most more often than not. The big outliers here are things like Inception, the Christopher Nolan film that was a summer film but still got noticed, um, Get Out, the Jordan Peele film, March release but still got noticed but again people thought they were doing that because it was more of a statement that actually they were going to finally recognize black filmmakers and black cinema and things like that he releases get out two years later at the exact same period of time in the year and uh sorry was two years later and it gets nothing it gets completely ignored for whatever reason which then seems to sort of reinforce the fact that it's a political statement the first time around with get out because why are you now ignoring for my money a better film and a film with better performances. Because I would say, above and beyond, no offence to Daniel Kaluuya, that Lupita Nyong'o in Us is a much better performance than he was in Get Out, but he was nominated for the Oscar. Um, and I would even maybe say that the screenplay is a little bit better, um, but obviously won for Get Out. But anyway, sticking to Lupita Nyong'o, dual performance, again, why no recognition? And I just think she's absolutely fantastic in this film. And again, it was one of those where You write the name down and you think, right, which film am I going to go for? Am I going to go for 12 Years a Slave or am I going to go for us? And actually, it's us every single time. Um, So that's my number two. Uh, Gemma, your number two.
1: Okay then, so my number two could quite easily have been my number one. Uh, And I toyed between where they were gonna go. And I think the reason why she comes in at number two is because of a couple of dips in the mid nineties with a couple of films that were a bit meh and I didn't really rate her even though they got a lot of hype at the time. Um, So my number two is Jodie Foster and um the role that I like her the best in is uh, Clarice Starlin so you spoke about Clarice Starlin earlier on and uh, about Julianne Moore um as I've said before I won't hear anything against Julianne Moore thank you very much because uh, I love her I think she's great still Alice and the kids are all right you know I think she's she's brilliant um as Clarice Starlin it's Jodie Foster all the way isn't it between like I love I love Julianne Moore independently but the two Clarices it's all about Jodie uh, Foster isn't it she she just is Clarice Starling it's kind of like that argument can anything ever be better than the original because the original is how it's supposed to be so she just was Clarice wasn't she And she was iconic in that there was a couple of dips in the 90s with a couple of rubbish films like Maverick and Summersby, which I really didn't like um which is why I put her below the person that I've chosen at number one. Um, but as Clarice Starling, still quite a young actress at the time, go, talking about being young, you know, looking at things like Taxi Driver, when she was just a child, you know, she was like 12 or 13 when she made that. And in such a, a gritty kind of role as well. Um and just how good she was. Yeah, just playing that role. Fantastic. Uh, but yeah, Jodie Foster for me is a clear favourite. Um, I think there's a couple of things she's done that haven't really stretched her very much. Like Panic Room. Panic Room is is an all right film. It's a good film. It's an enjoyable film. But when you look at Jodie Foster in it, she's she's not stretched as an actress, I don't think. She plays quite a, an easy, you know, learn the lines and, and do the performance kind of thing. But as Clarice, I thought she was just... Uh, iconic which is why uh, she gets my number two uh, spot there
0: yeah again i think a mutual agreement from all of us if not a lot of us and you've undersold panic room though because panic room is bloody great i think i think it's a great film uh right shadlia your number two
2: so my number two uh could have been number one um, but I'll talk about number one when I talk about number one and link with your number two. So a lot of numbers then. Um, right, I've been practicing how to say this. Sasha Rowan. Um, Sasha Ronan. Holly's, Holly's uh, shaking her head. Sasha Ronan. Um, Sasha Ronan. Oh, did I say her second name wrong? The easy you already one.
0: said sausage for the first bit. <laughs> I did
2: <you> say sausage. <laughs> right, Sasha Rowan.
0: Sasha Ronan. Saoirse Ronan.
2: Sasha so Ronan I watched a lot of YouTube videos I should have watched it before right okay anyway you all know who I'm talking about I think that she is a fabulous young actress I am I loved her in Brooklyn um and I loved her in Mary Queen of Scots but the one that's got to win it is Lady Bird um it's such a good movie and her performance in it is just brings it all together I love how um she just portrays this teenage angst and this like misidentification with where she is in the world. I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And if, you, if you've not seen it, then the clip that I think would sell it to you, if you just type in uh, Ladybird Ladybird car scene, she's driving with her mum, uh, and it starts off so lovely that you know they're, they're having a nice drive. They've been looking at a few colleges in America um, and the listeners are something that you know, they're bonding. And it takes a matter of 10 seconds for them to just be at each other's throat. Like, you know, very similar to what I said um, with Marriage Story. You know, they started off with something small and then she's bringing up something that happens like three years ago. It's just brilliant. And then, to top it all off, she hurtles herself out of the car. Just She's like, I can't deal with anymore. She just, you know, leaves the car as it's driving full speed. She's just brilliant in it. It's absolutely a fantastic movie and I I really rate her even though I can't say her name properly. <laughs>
0: um I've not seen Lady Bird. It is on my list though. Um I've seen that clip where she just throws herself out the car though it's and I've brilliant. heard good things about the scripts as well. So yeah, I'm looking forward to getting to that one. Um right, our number one's then. So I'm going to go first. Um I'm going to just read you Um, some things that people said about it first, okay? So Mick Lassell from the San Francisco Chronicle said that watching this performance was like watching a generation's hopes and struggles presented by an actress with a fullness of emotion and yet with utter matter of factness. And Michael Phillips, writing for the Chicago Tribune, lauded the performance and said that the lack of pretense or affectation as a performer This is a film that I've mentioned really recently on this podcast and I maybe got a little bit emotional, maybe gushed about it a little bit too much. Um, This is Patricia Arquette for Boyhood. Now, you guys, to pull the curtain back a little bit, you won't have listened to me. Holly Holly has, because Holly was on the podcast. Um, You won't have heard me talk about Boyhood yet. Um, Boyhood was one of those films that, Possibly even the only film. I went to go and see it and I I went on my own because one of my favourite things to do is just go to the cinema on my own. You know, it lets me get my headspace and think about things and all that kind of stuff. And I went to the corner house in Manchester when it was still the corner house and it was the last film that I watched there. And I'd never, ever been in a cinema screen before with such love, admiration and respect for a film like that ever. From everybody in the audience, nobody was being daft. There was just a general feeling of respect for what we were watching. And the beats that it hit of this boy growing up over a 12-year period of time, it was like me watching myself and my life story on film because it was like... Oh, so that's him with his mum and dad and he's got a little sister. Yeah. All right, his mum and dad are split up. All right, this has happened and then this has happened. And he's going to uni and he's just finished college and you know, he's he's got his, you know, his first girlfriend and his mates are there. And, you know, his sister's doing that thing where they're having a bit of a fight and she screams and mum comes in and blames him, even though his sister's done something. There are so many little things that just make that to me one of my favorite films of all time and is just a really special film for me. And because of that, and again, like when I showed it to Amy for the first time, um, Patricia Raquette, who isn't really an actress that I would go to a lot, like if you were to say to me, list your favourite actresses, she's not somebody that I might put at the top of my list, but I'm talking just pure performance here. It's, it was like watching my mum. It was like watching my mum on screen because you absolutely believe her in everything that she does as a young mother, as a single mother in those really awkward conversations that he has to have because Ethan Hawke is the dad has turned up late again to come and pick the kids up, you know, and like you're seeing everything, the, you know, slightly aggressive stepdad and the relationship that doesn't quite work, the her going off on her own, her getting really upset because she doesn't know how to deal with the kids on her own, and she's struggling to make ends meet, she's struggling to put things together, and then as the kids grow up, you can see her finally, Almost like relax in herself because she's now letting the kids fire the nest a little bit and she's becoming a lot more mature as a woman herself and as a mother herself. Um, and I remember and I mentioned it when I spoke about Francis McDormand that in the year that Francis McDormand won for three billboards, it was every award ceremony that you were watching, it was pick up an award, pick up an award, pick up an award, and you knew how it was going to go. It was exactly the same for Patricia Arquette. And everything that we watched from the Golden Globes to the BAFTAs to the Oscars, every single time, I would get a little bit choked up when she'd get called to the stage and she'd do a speech and she'd do a speech about mothers and she'd do a speech about women and how equality amongst women and like equal rights for pay and things like that and there's 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 a gif now that gets used where Meryl Streep points up off screen and just claps and that's from Patricia Arquette's speech because she says like are you going to stand up and be with me and fight for these equal rights with me and Meryl Streep was the first one to go yeah of course I will you know we're going to go and do this and every single time she won an award like I just remember turning to Amy and going it's like watching my mum win an Oscar and this is it this is why she's My number one, like I I wish I, when I first did it and I said this before, like Rosamund Pike was my number one at first. And I think I'd put Patricia Arquette um, down as like two or three or something like that. And I kept going back to it and I kept thinking, no, this isn't right, and I moved her up. And the more I thought about it, and I think I may I might have even watched one of her um, award uh, acceptance speeches again. And I was just like, yeah, this is this is the right choice. This for me is my favourite performance as a female because I don't see it as a performance, I see it as I'm watching David Attenborough presents Adam Farron's life, and this is his mum, and that <laughs> that's why it's number one for me. Uh, yeah, so that's my number one. Um, Gem- uh, Gemma, your number one.
1: Okay, dokie. Uh, so my number one is um, somebody that I really respect because of how well respected she is in Hollywood in the film industry, um, despite not having any of the traditional sort of sex appeal. Um, so we know it's a sad fact that that's how women can break into the film industry. Um, and it shouldn't be that way. But we know that it is that way sometimes. But uh, this woman um, hasn't done it that way. She's just done it through pure talent. And so uh, my number one is Tony Collette. Right. I absolutely love Tony Collette. She's just, she's so talented. Everything that she turns her hand to, right, she does absolutely brilliantly. From those kind of like breakthrough roles like Muriel's Wedding, where she was. Just, you know, everything that women on screen are not supposed to be, Um, you know, she wasn't the sexy person. She wasn't the the winner. Um, She wasn't the kind of popular one. Right. She just plays that so well. So then more almost whimsical, but not really uh, roles like in her shoes, which is supposed to be a bit of a chick flick. And it's got Cameron Diaz in it. And those, um, you know, which is what makes it look like it's a chick flick. But actually, Tony Collette in that film is so powerful, you know, as that sister that's um, that's always having to pick up over the less responsible uh, sister, and just that frustration that she has with that. I really feel that. Um, I love her in About a Boy, but I think the performance that I pick her on is um, Sixth Sense. Now, due to Sixth Sense being the most terrifying film that you could ever watch. I've only watched it a couple of times, and that is in the 20-something years since it's been out. Um, I, I find it disturbingly terrifying, right? I can't cope with it. Um, when I first saw Sixth Sense, I'm not, I'm not lying to you when I say it disturbed my sleep for easily six months, possibly even a year. Um, I really, I had to sleep with the light on. I find things like to do with the occult and, and creepy kids as well. Um, just terrifying and I I, I, can't, I can't cope with it it's it's too scary but it's it's so so good and she her performance in that as that mother um you know it's almost overlooked because of the 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 the, the massive twist in it which you know takes up so much of what everybody will talk about afterwards the fact that Haley Joel Osmond won nearly every award going for breakthrough actor and um you know Charlie he just won loads and loads of awards for that um And she's rarely, rarely mentioned as one of the strengths of that film. But I think she is just a quiet sort of strength as the mother of that boy struggling with just kind of them two on their own. How odd he is, all the difficulties that he's got. And she's the mother of that. But uh, as far as I'm concerned, Tony Collette, you know, with a little Miss Sunshine as well. Whatever she turns her hand to, she does. And she does absolutely brilliantly. And the one thing that I love about her is that she did it all on pure talent and not on that kind of um, Hollywood uh, sex appeal, the kind of glitterati. Um, some of the other things that people may have proved themselves that they are more than that, but certainly um, made their headway because they are... Um, you know blonde bombshell or something she never had that she just did it um on 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 pure talent so for me tony collette number one um and that's her performance in sixth sense
0: good shout i went back to the sixth sense um last year because it was one of those films that like you know 99 i would have been nine years old um and we got wind of as kids because it was like oh have you seen have you heard about this scary film where there's kids and can see ghosts and we watched it and then absolutely frightened the life out of ourselves and then since then it was i don't want to watch that again because i I was scared of it when i was nine um so then actually watching it again totally see it with new eyes and things like that and really appreciate tony Colette's performance if you want to go down the route of seeing her do something different um there's a film that came out a couple years ago called the way way back where she plays um, the mum to a kid um, who's she's in a relationship with Steve Carell. And again, it's a performance by Steve Carell where he's a real kind of like bad person. You do not like him at all, but it's a really nice feel good summer kind of film. Um, good shout from Gemma uh, Shadlia. Go on, Holly.
3: Sorry, I was going to say shout out for Tony Collette in Knives Out for yeah, playing actually, against yeah, yeah. hype very much and being hilarious.
0: Uh, Good shout. Um, Shadlia you're number one.
2: Right well I feel like I don't need to really say anything because Gemma's done the most of it for me and then Holly's pretty much finished off what I was going to say. Right so firstly you're number two Adam, 100% agree with it and I was um and ah about whether to include her in my top 10. Um, but I didn't, and the reason I didn't was because of my number one choice. Now, my number one choice is Tony Collette. And Gemma, as soon as... Spoiler alert. Um, as soon as lockdown finishes, you are coming to my house, and you are going to sit on this couch, and you are going to watch
1: Tony Collette in Hereditary.
0: Don't do it, Gemma. Don't do it.
1: I thought she was going to make me watch Sixth Sense again then, and she was... <laughs> I'll give you a cuddle. It'll be fine. Never. No. People want to watch Six Sense because what you have it It's so scary. Now, if you're don't saying do it. it's scary, don't do it, don't do it. I can't watch it at all because no, you don't, don't do it. Anything scary. You said that you don't like creepy occult and creepy kids. Me, no. Hereditary. Oh. Right, so... Why uh, would you want me to do that? Why would you want to put me through that? Forget
2: it. This
0: is why she's back on a PMR, Gemma. (laughs) See what she's trying to do to you.
2: Because, right, Gemma, this movie, okay, is so good. And it is so good because of Toni Collette. She plays a mother to two... Well, to one very strange little girl, uh, but to also another boy. Her performance in it, there's probably maybe like five, six standout scary moments with the ending being particularly scary. But there's one moment in it where they're sat around a dinner table, something awful has happened that isn't actually supernatural. Um, Something awful has happened and they're kind of coming together as a family. They're eating some dinner and the son is just pecking her head. He's maybe about 17, 18, and he's just poking the fire and she just erupts and she just lets loose on him. She says some really awful things. And it's nothing, you know, it's nothing scary, nothing supernatural. It is purely her, her kind of resentment towards him because of something that's happened in the, in, in the film. And then she settles back down as a mother does. So you say something, you settle back down. You kind of realise that maybe you've gone too far, but you're just so upset. And she starts eating again and he says something and she looks up and her face, no, no words, her face just turns to like a cold stare, to like a grimace, to almost crying. And it's really, really just—it's dis- really disturbing. It's really upsetting. And her husband just says, uh, right, leave it now, leave it. And she just says, fine. And she just slams a fork down and she just walks away. And it kind of pans out. Her performance in that is brilliant. Now, it's probably one of the most scariest movies that I've ever seen. It is really disturbing. It's really scary. And that's why you come to my house. You sit on this nice blue couch. I'll get you some popcorn. It'll be beautiful.
1: It'll be beautiful. Beautiful. No, Claudia, when you come to my house, right? I feed you, okay? I feed you. I give you nice things. I feed you chicken in the garden in the sunshine. That's what happens when you come to my house. Why is it that I've got to go to your house to be terrified? You're gonna to come to my house. To in to in to the see. dark, so cold outside. We lock the door. <laughs> no, 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 no. You've always been welcome to this house with with love and brews and, and chicken in the garden. And then I get invited to yours. It's like Gemma, come over and crap yourself.
2: No, <laughs> I just love how you think Six sense is scary. yeah it's it's,
1: it's
2: nothing anyway, Tony Collette, number one, she was brilliant in knives out. I love in sixth sense. I think she's just all round excellent, but that is my movie. I felt like I couldn't have two horror movies in the uh the, in this. So I had to boot Lapita, but
0: right. Gemma, like no, don't do it because you <laughs> you're gonna regret it. And you're just gonna be there for Shadley's and amusement at the end of the day. Yeah, it will be. It will um, be. Um because I've not seen Hereditary, but I remember on the on the horror podcast saying like every now and again a film comes out where they say, Oh, have you seen this? It's got the scariest things ever in it. Like it happened with um it, the remake of it. And I watched all the scary scenes in like some weird supercut that a child had put on YouTube or something. And I did the same with Hereditary. And I just thought, that's awful. Like these things aren't nice. I don't want to watch a film like that.
1: Yeah. Right, is it suburban. as scary um, as Woman in
0: Black? You mean the Daniel Radcliffe Woman in Black?
1: <laughs> yeah. I swear is to it... God, that woman, Woman in Black, she was on my landing for the next six months every time I had to get <laughs> up in the dark to go for a bathroom. Right? I swear to God, she was at the other end of the landing. I could <laughs> see her. It was disturbing me. So no, it's, it's scary than that.
2: It's a different type of, of horror. It's it's psychological. Oh,
1: good. Oh, oh, as long as it really gets into...
0: <laughs> as long as it's in my brain, that's what I need. <laughs> as long Thank as you right for that. right there,
1: creeping away, because I'm imagining that I can see a woman in black in the middle of the night. Thanks for that.
0: <laughs> oh, well, right, you're sitting ready. You,
2: right, you save
1: us, Holly,
0: save us. <laughs> yeah, right, Holly, you're number one then.
3: I don't usually like going last in the last round, but I'm quite glad I have this time because my number one choice has been the queen of this podcast. So I'm glad, glad I get to say it last, which is Frances McDormand again. Um, not for Three Billboards, though, which I loved and would have had, except that this is one of my favourite ever films and I think she's amazing in it. Her other Oscar-winning performance, which is Marge Gunderson in Fargo. Um, I, I love her in this role because I think we we've talked a lot. We we've, we've had lots of very varied roles for female performers in this podcast. But if you wanted to be to be cruel and to minimalise them, you, you might put them into boxes of you know the the badass action hero or the um, pulling your heartstrings mum or or you know you, you you could you could pigeonhole them. And I don't think it's possible to pigeonhole. Marge Gunderson because she's not a badass she's a she's a normal person she's just amazing at her job so so amazing whilst being a lovely lovely person and being really normal as well and every scene with her husband Norm just makes me so happy Um, because in another film they'd be portrayed as losers and in this film they're portrayed as Lovely, wonderful, hardworking, and clever people. Um, and the the scene where she goes, um, she she's a a police officer. She's she's tracking down um, two uh, people who um, supposedly um, kidnapped a, a woman, and it's a kidnapping gone wrong. As she's trying to unravel what happened, um, and she's very clever about it. But right in the middle of the film, she has this kind of meetup with with a a old school friend Um, and that scene where she's just she's trying to be nice to this guy but this guy is having a breakdown and his wife's just left him and he's basically coming on to her Um, that scene is just perfect because she's just being so nice and just trying to be really nice and letting down gently and gently and gently and then he pushes a little bit too far and she's steel but she's still a lovely person but that just that force of will and like no you're not going to push me around is just so evident there and she gets that back out again when she's in um when she's interviewing people through the investigation she has that again at the end when she she faces off against the the bad guys um but she also does it all whilst pregnant um and I don't think you see enough pregnant heroes of films um and her pregnancy is not a big plot point at all It's not the film doesn't revolve around it, but it is mentioned because she finds it quite hard trudging through the snow to the body. And her husband comes and brings her food in the office because she's very, very hungry. Um, And just everything about it is she's just a totally normal woman, but at the same time, extraordinary. Um, And it's my favourite Frances McDormand performance. She can do no wrong. I've never seen a bad Frances McDormand performance. I would watch any film if I found out that she was in it. Um, Three Billboards is amazing because I also love Sam Rockwell, but Fargo just edges it.
0: Yeah, can't argue with you there, Hal. Um, so then if we look at kind of crossovers, um, obviously we, there was the late arrival of Tony Collette, but in two separate films, so she would get a shout out there. Uh, we've got Julia Roberts in Pretty Woman. That was a crossover. Uh, Denai Guerrera in Black Panther. Jodie Foster, Silence of the Lambs. Sigourney Weaver, Aliens. Uh, Charlie's Theron in Fury Road. And then obviously, as Holly's just mentioned, the Queen of the Pod. Surely that title goes to Frances McDormand because as much as we all agree that Three Billboards is great, Holly makes a really good case for Fargo there as well. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what she's like in Nomadland um, because again, that's getting a lot of Oscar buzz at the minute thank you very much for listening and thanks once again to Gemma, Holly and Shadlia for their top 10s and thank you one more time to the students who introduced us this week you can help support Farndon Film by following us on Twitter at Farrandon Film by liking us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Farndon Film by leaving a 5 star review at your favourite podcast provider by heading over to our sponsor Offworld teas and using the code Farrand that's F-A-R-R-A-N-D for 15% off your order And stay safe, look after each other, and I'll see you next time.